of these, but the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the, who is the Holy Spirit? He is, he is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is referred to in the New Testament as the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus said that when he went away, he would send, ask the Father who would send another a comforter so that we would not be left as orphans. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit, for those who have been born again, He is in us. He is the hope of glory. It is, he is the same Spirit that uh, resurrected Christ from the dead, and that resurrection power abides in those who trust in Jesus so that one day we who will follow Christ, who is the first fruits of those to rise from the dead, He will give life to our mortal bodies. We will rise from the earth, uh, whether we're dead and buried or cremated, it doesn't matter. God knows where every particle uh, of our body is, and we will rise and meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that exciting? Eternal life, the hope and the promise of eternal life, it is possible because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and the Spirit of God that He sent back to us to comfort us and to help us. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is powerful. We see in our opening <clears throat> PowerPoint slide, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, it speaks of the baptism of Jesus when John the Baptist was baptizing uh, in the Jordan River, a baptism under repentance that Jesus came on the scene. John, remember, said, I don't think I should be baptizing you. Uh, you should be baptizing me. He recognized that he was the Messiah. And Jesus said, let <clears throat> everything be done properly and in order. He set the example for water baptism. Jesus went in under the water, uh, immersed, and he came up. And it says that the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And settling on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. That is a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A beautiful picture of the Trinity. Even though it's mysterious, we don't quite understand it with our finite minds, but God is a Trinity. And the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, settling upon him. It was at that time that Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I agree uh, with the commentators on this, that if Jesus needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. If Jesus needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is the power that God promised to us that would allow us and enable us and equip us to be witnesses of Him. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. Now, the promise of the Spirit, as I said, was given. John chapter 14, 15, and 18. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another, and he calls him the advocate, uh, who will never leave you. Say never. He will never leave you. Never leave you. Don't ever buy into the lie from hell who tells you that somehow God has left you because you haven't been good enough. That is a lie from hell. He promised us he would never leave us. He will never leave you. Yeah, he has said he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will make you free. And so we need to dig in to the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. Allow the Spirit of God to teach us what the Word of God is saying uh, to us, and then lead us into the truth where we'll find freedom. He says that the world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. 
Uh, But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Jesus promised he would be in us. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. How many know that God is not a man that he can lie? That what he promises, he will deliver on. What he promises, he doesn't have to build up and save up for resources. He already has the resources to release to us when we appropriate his promises by faith. When we receive by faith what God wants us to have, God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to be endued with power from on high so that we can be his witnesses. Now, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? We talked about a few weeks ago that he is our advocate. What is that? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments, I'll send you another comfort or advocate is translated in different translations that you have, may have uh, different translations, we'll say that or the other. The bottom line is he does comfort us, and we need to be comforted. There's times we're grieving and we're hurting. There's times that maybe friends will hurt us. Those in the body of Christ may hurt us. And maybe relatives have hurt you. Maybe the one who should have loved you the most hurt you. Maybe you were an abused child uh, and your parents were cruel to you. Maybe you were uh, uh, molested when you were a child. And it hurts. And those, that pain is there. It's a part of, who, of the fabric of our life. And yet God, by the Holy Spirit, will come to you and he will advocate for you, he will defend you, and he will heal you, and he will comfort you so that you can endure, so that you can grow out of those hurts. And you can be a blessing to others who have been hurt and point them to Calvary, be a witness and show them how that they too can be healed by the comforter and be defended by the advocate. We know that the Greek word there, paraclete, it reveals that he comes alongside of us. He's already in us, right? He is with us, Emmanuel. He comes alongside of us to do what? He comes alongside of us to help us. We all need help in our daily walk with God. Uh, How many know that? We need his help. We need his wisdom. And he comes alongside of us to help us. He takes up residence in our heart, and we can continuously rely on his partnership to help us overcome any of the obstacles that we face in life. And I mean to tell you, you you might be in the secret part of your bedroom with the door shut. He's there with you. You You can be in any part of your house or any part of any place in this world in the deepest, darkest cave. He is with you. He is helping you. Paul and Silas were in the lower part of the dungeon in Philippi after being beat and locked in stocks and the prison doors shut on, slammed in their face, and at midnight, the darkest hour of the night, what did they do? They felt the anointing, the presence of God. They began to sing psalms and hymns and praise God and were praying, and the whole prisoner population heard them, and they were marveling. And the power of God came down and changed the circumstances, shook the earth, opened up the prison doors and sets people free. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is still shaking prison doors and opening the prison doors and setting people free. That's what he does. He's an awesome God. Now, second point, uh, the last time we spoke about this series is the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He's a counselor. And let me tell you, I love counseling. I, 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 I need his counsel. There's times I don't know what to do, and I say, God, in my prayer, God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Have you ever done that? 
Have you ever been perplexed and just don't know what's going on? What's going on here? There's times that things happen in this world, in the world of politics or religion or wars and rumors of wars that are taking place, and you say, God, what is this? Is this the time before the rapture of the church? Are you coming soon? God, show me wisdom. Help me. Be my counselor. Tell me how to endure this. John 14, 26, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. When do we forget what God tells us? It's when we're in a a season of terrible events. It's when the bad news comes and all of a sudden in a moment of panic, We forget what the Word of God says. But I'll tell you, for the child of God, He will bring us back to center, and He will remind us, say remind, He will remind you of what you already know up here and in here. You know what I'm reminded of many, many times? I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit of God's faithfulness to me throughout the years. He reminds me that He has always taken care of us, that when I left my uh, job, my career in Kansas City, uh, with the benefits and, and the retirement and the dental and the eye you know, insurance and all the stuff that we had, is that he said, when you're leaving and you're going to this little t- prairie town in North Dakota, say, God, how are we going to make it? I've got five children. How are we going to make it? They don't have a parsonage. We're going to... And you know the Holy Spirit reminded me of? He said, reminded me of his faithfulness, his track record of faithfulness. Is you don't have to worry because as Paul said, just pray as Paul did. Pray his words. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And you know what I found out is that God never, ever allowed us to miss a meal Uh, We missed some paychecks, but then we got gifts in the mail from somebody. I mean, it was just amazing. There were times in that little town up there when we didn't get paid, I'd walk downtown to get the mail or drive downtown to Main Street, go to the post office. On the way down there, I'd have somebody come up to me in the post office or come up to me and say, uh, didn't even go to our church. They were Lutherans. And Pastor Pastor Tim, um, God told me to give this to you. You got a wad of bills there. Why why are you giving this to me? God told me and my wife to give it to you. There was a time a guy stopped by my house and knocked on the door and came in and handed me money and just reached over hand. I didn't know what he even had. I was like, what? Shelly and my, my wife and I, we were praying and God told us to give this to Pastor Tim. I said, but Mike, why don't you give it to your pastor? You know No, 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 God told me, and she confirmed it, to give it to you. My God. See, Paul's God is my God. See, he's my God. And my God will do what? He'll supply all my needs according to whose riches? His riches. He doesn't go bankrupt. He's not affected by our downturn in our economy. He's not affected by how much you've lost in the stock market in your portfolio. He's still rich. His resources are endless. They're inexhaustible. Somebody say amen. 
What's the Holy Spirit do? He reminds us during difficult times that, hey, the world is concerned. People who don't know Jesus are scared. There's rumors and rumors, wars and rumors of wars. There's fear that is causing men's hearts to, to fail. But you have a God in heaven, and the Holy Spirit reminds you of who he is and how much he's worth. We don't even know how much he's worth because it's inexhaustible, incomprehensible. But my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit reminds you when you need to be reminded because in the heat of a moment, you can forget what you know. He reminds us. He's our counselor. He comes on when we're in distress and he says, calm down. Let's think about this. When you're in prayer, the Holy Spirit, listen, prayer is not a one-way street where we go in and talk to God and complain to God. Prayer is a two-way conversation where we talk to Him, where we cast our cares, our anxieties upon Him, and He speaks back to us by the Holy Spirit, the still, small voice sometimes. Sometimes I've been when it's been loud, but it's a still small voice, sometimes a prompting, sometimes just an awareness, an awareness of who I am in Christ, an awareness and a reminder of what His Word has said to me and the promises of God. But He counsels me with the Word of God. I would to God that all counselors and therapists would use the Word of God to counsel people so that they could be truly set free and healed. Because when you're counseling with the Word of God, You're leading people to the truth bucket. And if they eat and drink from the truth bucket, they will find freedom and deliverance and healing in their souls. Somebody say amen. Amen. You remember the story I shared last time we spoke about Peter the Great when he was just a boy and uh, ruling with his brother who was mentally ill, I mean, just really off, and and, uh, his stepsister, kind of hungry for power, uh, that she was the brains behind the times when dignitaries from other lands would come and meet with him, and even dignitaries from Russia would come. And remember, behind his throne, she had cut out a space, a little window, covered it with a curtain, and when people would come to him and seek his counsel, seek, what are you going to say about this situation or this world situation? What, do you, what about this country or that country? And even though he was an intellect in his own right and became very brilliant on his own at that time, his sister Sophia was back there whispering to him in secret, don't tell them this, say this. And people would marvel and say, this young guy is sharp. How can he be so smart And so wise at such a young age. Well, his sister was back there whispering. Listen, that is a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does. Is that we can be and sound and seem a lot sharper than what we really are if we listen to the Holy Spirit. If we listen to Him. Not just when you're kneeling in prayer during your time of prayer, when you're consecrating yourself to prayer, but even when you're just going through life. You know, and, and when I worked in a, in a, in a warehouse uh, in, in Liberty, Missouri, and, and I would go around in that warehouse and doing my work, and I'd be praying under my breath in tongues, and I'd be praying, God, I need this and this. You know, you can pray everywhere, and the Holy Spirit can speak to you anywhere because He hears your prayers. 
And as we said before, when we don't know how to pray, God, I'm just so frustrated. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what the answer to this. The Holy Spirit, Romans 8, says that he comes, he prays the prayer that you need to be praying, that you don't have the intellect or the knowledge of how to do it, but he will take your prayers and groanings and words that can't be put into words, and he will pray to the Father the perfect prayer. Amen. Sometimes, you know, people's troubles and problems become so deep for me, and I'm grieving over things people go through uh, in my congregation, and even people I don't know say, God, I don't know to understand this. I don't even know how to pray for him anymore. I don't understand. And you know what I'm reminded of? The Holy Spirit reminds me, hey, when you don't know how to pray, let me pray through you. I'll take that. I'll take that for you. I got you there. I got you covered. And I begin to pray in my prayer language. And there are times, listen to me, there are times when it gets heavy. It gets heavy. I remember walking through the sanctuary back in, in North Dakota, and, and the walls are like this thick, you know, and <clears throat> no windows in the worship center. And I'm in there and thing, going through hard times, and I'm just like, God! And I'm yelling, God, can you hear me? <laughs> Don't look at me that way. You've done it too. Come on. And of course he hears you. But this, listen, there are times, there have been times when it seemed like the heavens are brass. It seems like, God, where are you? And you know, in times like that, I have learned, looking back now, I'm an old man now. Once I was young, now I'm old. And I have learned the track record of God's faithfulness is that during those times, God is there. Oh, yes, he's, Jesus said... I will never, say never, leave you alone. Never. And so the Word of God is true, even though my emotions may seem like it's not true. Some people walk by their emotions and not by faith. You know, that's not going to get you anywhere but in trouble. But I have learned this, God, you are here. You promised you'd be here. And even though I don't feel, you know what, you're being tested is your faith real? Is it genuine? Are you going to trust God whether you feel the, the, the goose, Holy Ghost bumps? <laughs> are you going to trust God even though you're not in a worship service, worshiping with the crowd of people? When you're alone, there's no music playing. When you need God the most, are you going to press in and trust Him even though you're not being primed like a pump to worship? See, the Holy Spirit reminds us, he counsels us, and he says, hey, I'm with you whether you feel like it or not. Just remember the word of God, promised you, Jesus promised you he would never leave you. And so the Holy Spirit counsels us. He does that. He helps us. And when we need a counselor, when we're perplexed, we need somebody to come alongside of us. We live today in this world in troubled times. Our nation is in trouble have you noticed? We are so far from God, it is terrifying to me. It is terrifying. There is insane people running the country. They don't know the difference between a man or a woman. 
we're in trouble. Perplexing times. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, Timothy, you need to know this. Timothy is his protege. Uh, he's his spiritual father. And he says, Timothy, my son, in the last days there's going to be difficult times. King James says perilous times. What's it going to be like? Timothy, it's going to be like this. People will only love themselves. How many know that's true? Look out for number one. And their money, they'll love their money. We live in a materialistic, obsessed culture today. Inundated, saturated with lust and greed. People want what other people have without having to do what they have done to get it. And they feel entitled to get it. People love themselves. They love their money. They will be boastful and proud. Scoffing at God. Disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, unthankful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be, verse 3, unloving. PowerPoint keeping up. You see it up there? Unloving and what? Unforgiving. If you're unloving, you're not going to forgive. That's just, they go together. They're joined at the hip. Unloving and unforgiving. And what else will they do? They will slander others and they will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Verse 4, they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. And here's one, they'll love pleasure more than God or rather than God. Pleasure is more important than loving God. And verse 5, they will act religious. Can I just tell you that God is not impressed with our spiritual calisthenics? God is not impressed with how high you jump. He's more impressed with how straight you walk. He's not impressed with your words of praise and adoration uh, unless they're accompanied by words that are comforting and encouraging and build somebody else up. James talked about the tongue. Remember that? You know, he said it's just like it's, it can't, these things can't be. It's like a, a fountain that that has bitter or poisonous water and sweet and pure water out of the same fountain. He said, how is that possible? That's what the tongue is. And so people, I mean, to tell you, the Holy Spirit, He can help us, but we need to get right with God. Acting religious, showing up for church, paying your tithes, putting offerings in, doing good works, without a heart change, without being born again, does you no good. And He says they're going to act religious uh, New King James, I believe, says that they have a form of godliness, but with no power. Okay, no power. They'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, he says. Now it goes on, and you can go through and read the whole chapter, read the whole book. I hope you read the Bible every day. I really do, because it's the truth of God, and it will lead you into freedom. But I mean to tell you, when we're perplexed, I'm perplexed because I see these things. I've read these since I was a young Christian, since I first came to Christ. And I thought, oh, wow, that's going to be terrible then. And it's like, now it's here. And it's not just out there. It's in the church. People act like that in the church. And God help us to have a revival. 
God pour the Holy Spirit out and bring us to a place of repentance and seeking after you. I'm perplexed by it. Are you perplexed by things? Paul said they're going to be perplexing times, perilous times. I'm perplexed by it. But when those times come, I have to get into prayer and just say, God, I don't understand this. But I do know one thing. God, I, don't know. I, I do know one thing. I do know that you can fix it. That you can pour your spirit out anew and afresh on the church, radically revive your church, bring new life to it, and then let it spill out outside the four walls of the church into the world so that people can see a Christianity that is pure and that is real. And even though they may criticize and they may tear down and they may attack, they cannot deny what they know in their hearts is real, is that you have something that I don't have. There's something different about you than what there is about me. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit, He helps us, and that leads us right into convicts us. Third and last point, and I'm going to finish this real fast. He convicts us. What does that mean? Jesus said that when He comes, the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of its sin and God's judgment and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me, Jesus said. Righteousness is available, verse 10, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, Rick Warren says, it's amazing to me that a person can be in sin, living in sin, and even understand that what he is doing or she is doing is sin, yet nonetheless fail to grasp, fail to grasp the eternal consequences of what that means. This person can even be in the church service where they hear the, the Word of God and hear about sin and acknowledge that the sermon is true and that he's a sinner and yet leave the service and continue living in the same lifestyle that they did before they came in. They come in and they go out unchanged. Unchanged. When I was a salesman in Kansas City, and my sales territory was in Johnson County, Kansas. At that time, it was the, I don't know where they are now on the spectrum, but the seventh richest county in the nation, very wealthy uh, area there. And I went into this quick trip, the Q-U-I-C-K, not the K. W-I-C-K, quick trip, big chain down there. And there was a young manager that worked there, a very young guy, looked like the uh, typical, uh, stereotypical boy next door, you know, tall, good looking, had a, a red hot sports car. And it's just like I looked at that car and my heart just, I love that car, you know. And I told him, Scott, I just love your car. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to sell it. And I said, why are you going to have to sell it? Well, I got gambling debts. And I really lost on some, bet on some football games, and I lost, and I got to sell my car to pay off the debts. And I thought, oh, living as a sinner is fun, isn't it? Oh, you're having a lot of... Anyway, it went on. <clears throat> you remember when Jimmy Swaggart fell from grace, and that Sunday when he got up and said, I have sinned, and he cried, and walked into that store the next day. You know, Scott knew I was a believer because I talked to him about the Lord when I had the chance. It was a very busy store, so he didn't have a lot of opportunity. But Scott said, come up to me, he was waiting on people. He says, wait, don't, don't, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you, Tim. And he was waiting on people, and he finally got a little break, and he says, hey, what did you think about Jimmy Swaggart? 
I said, well, I, I think it shows that he's human. He sinned. Yeah, you're right. And he started talking a little bit about it. He says, you know, it's a real shame because when I listened to him, he said the truth. And I said, Scott, you listen to Jimmy Swagger? And he's, oh, well, well, yeah, once in a while when I'm changing channels, you know, he's on there. And I thought, you listen to Jimmy Swagger. He said, yeah, I did, I did. And, and what he said was true. And I said, well, what he said was true. And, the, and when he sinned, it just simply means that he's a human being. We're all susceptible to temptation. And so what he said is true, Scott. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, I'll think about it. I've got to think about that. The Holy Spirit convicts, see, and here's this guy that I think he comes in and razzes me about my faith in a good-natured way, and we talk a little bit, and then I find out that the Holy Spirit has been convicting him of his sin. And the shame is is that many people, when a, a preacher fails, is that they say, well, the whole message must not be true. Wrong on all counts. God's Word is absolute truth, even if it comes from a vessel that's weak and frail. See, people don't realize that. They don't understand what they're rejecting. I, I know my brother-in-law, when my sister, my oldest sister got saved right after they got married, and, and uh, uh, grandma, his grandma invited him. I shared this story before. And he's sitting there, Sunday night service, grandma's church, Little Assembly God Church in northeast Kansas City, friendly assembly. And, and an evangelist is there that night, and Grandma got him over with a spaghetti Italian dinner. She was married to a full-blood Italian, and she could cook. And went over there to eat spaghetti, and then she says, and you're going to church with me tonight. No, Grandma, we got to go home. No, Charles, you're coming to church. You don't argue with Grandma Jenny Kinney. So they went to church, and that night my sister heard the gospel for the first time in her life. And invitation was given to go forward. And she started to go, and he grabbed onto her. His hands were shaking like a leaf. She said they were trembling. She'd never seen him like that. No. And Grandma reached out, took him by the hand, looked at him. She says, you let her go. Charles, you let go of her now. And took her to the altar where she got gloriously saved, later filled with the Holy Spirit, and he sat back there and shook, had to hold on to the back pew to keep his hand still. Why? Because he was under so much conviction, but didn't want to let go. So he's one of those who walked in one way, left the same. But my sister walked in one way and walked out gloriously saved. See, it's what you... It, it, it depends on your life, on how you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who points out truth to you, points out your desperate need for Christ. And you have to respond. You have to respond. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm closing here today. There's times that even as a Christian, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit ever convicted you of something you were doing or saying as a child of God? Anybody here? He has me. Personal conviction. 
The Holy Spirit helps us to see when we err, when we get off the main path. He brings us to a place of a choice that we can repent, where we can confess our sins and find forgiveness, and where we can be reconciled with God. And sometimes that means reconciled with someone else that we're in odds with. The Holy Spirit convicts. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Can I say this? I repent daily. I do. I need His grace every single day. Charles Finney, if anybody knows him, he was a, uh, the father, he referred to him as the father of revivalism, modern revivalism. Charles Finney um, was a Presbyterian, but he was a lawyer as well. He, as a young lawyer uh, in his uh, little past middle 20s, that he came to a place of conviction, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his law office, and he sought the Lord all night long. I mean, he went out into the woods and walked, and the conviction, the power of God was all over him, that something happened to him. He came back to his law office. He said, I began to, I, re, I repented. He began to receive, he received the Lord, and he said, the Spirit of God came upon me and was so powerful, it was like hot liquid love that poured into me. And he said, I couldn't even speak of it. It was so powerful. He, he, and he, he gives the verbiage as if he was speaking in tongues, but didn't quite know what to talk about it, but he was changed, radically changed. And he said the next day, a, a, a client came in to talk about his case that he was going to court with, and, and Finney sat there and just came out of his mouth. He says, I can't be your attorney anymore because I have another retainer. Well, what retainer? You're my attorney. He says, I have a retainer from God to preach this gospel. And under his ministry, such incredible manifestations in power. I said he's a Presbyterian, right? Well, he wasn't an ordinary Presbyterian. He writes this in his memoirs. Another circumstance occurred which I must not fail to notice. This was a cotton manufactory on the Orinskany Creek, a little above Whitesboro, New York, a place called New York Mills. It was owned by a Mr. Walcott, an unconverted man, but a gentleman of high standing and good morals. My brother-in-law, Mr. George Andrews, was at that time the superintendent of the factory. I was invited to go and to preach at that place and went up one evening and preached in the village of the school, at the schoolhouse, which was a large size and was crowded. It was uh, packed to capacity. The word that I could see took powerful effect among the people, especially among the young people who were at work at the factory. Conviction. He says, the next morning after breakfast, I went into the factory to look through it, to go on a tour. And I went through the factory. I observed that there was a good deal of agitation among those who were busy at their looms and their mules and other implements of work. On passing through one of the apartments where a great number of young women were attending their spinning and weaving, I observed a couple of them eyeing me and speaking very earnestly to each other. And I could see that they were a good deal agitated. And although they both laughed, I went slowly towards them, and they saw me coming and were evidently much excited. The thread of one of the machines broke, and I observed that the girl's hands trembled so much that she could not mend it. I approached slowly, looking on each side of the machinery as I passed, but observed that this girl grew more and more agitated and could not proceed with her work. And when I came within eight or ten feet of her, I looked at her solemnly. She observed it and was quite overcome and sunk down and burst into tears. 
that impression caught almost like a powder, and in a few moments, nearly all the room, everyone was in tears. The feeling, this feeling spread throughout the factory. It was a three-story factory, workers on each floor. The story historically says that people on the second and third floor began to fall to the floor, slain in the power of the Spirit, not even hearing the Word of God preached, but the presence of God so strong in that factory. People were weeping and wailing and seeking God. Mr. Walcott, the owner of the establishment, was present and seeing the state of things, he said to the superintendent, stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is more important that their souls should be saved than this factory should run. The gate was immediately shut down and the factory stopped, and where should we assemble? The superintendent suggested that the mule room was large and the mules began being run up and we would assemble there, and so we did, and the pow- had a powerful meeting I scarcely ever saw. It went on with great power. The building was so large, it had a great number of people in it. From the garnet to the cellar, the revival went through, and the mill, with astonishing power, in the course of a few days, nearly all in the mill were saved. Didn't preach just the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know, God's not done using men like Charles Finney. He was a lay person who God called. And most of you here are lay people who God has saved, God has filled, and God has called you to be his witnesses. And we have a command to go into all the world and to preach this gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a call. We have a commission. And it's not just for pastors, not just for evangelists. It is for the people of God. Now, I love special meetings where there's an emphasis on the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you that all the special meetings and outreach will never replace or have the effectiveness that if the church of Jesus Christ, those who are sitting in the chairs and the pews, will get up and go out into a mission field and begin to go to their world and proclaim the gospel. That is the effectiveness and the most effective method of outreach, reaching people for Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence today. And Lord, while we're inspired and encouraged by stories of this great move of the Holy Spirit in times past, Lord, we know that you do not change, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you can do it again. And we want you to do it again. We want you to fall on your church again and revive your church. Fall on us, God. Holy Spirit, fall. Take control. Loose us, Lord, from our humanness, our flesh, our prejudices, Lord, our opinions. Let your Spirit set us free to focus on lost souls, God, and God, to reach them, to disciple them. Father, in Jesus' name, 